0: Good morning. I wanted to come in this morning and celebrate we got him, but I can't because two children and one teenager are dead. Their mothers will never be able to hold them again. This was a senseless act of violence, and we continue to pray for the families of the victims, and we also pray for the broader Lebanon community that is still reeling from the shock of this horrific crime. Again, I cannot stress how incredibly proud I am of the Lebanon City Police Department and all of our law enforcement partners who assisted on scene and with the investigation that got us to where we are today, with all three suspects swiftly in custody. To all our brothers and sisters in blue, LPD, LPD detectives, county law enforcement, state police, U.S. Marshals, thank you. You have my sincere gratitude. At this time, Chief Fisher will say some comments.
1: Good morning. Six days after the tragedy that occurred on May 30th, the final suspect was taken into custody. On May 30th, the Lebanon City Police Department, the Lebanon County District Attorney's Office, and the Lebanon County Bureau of Detectives launched an extensive investigation into the killing of 8-year-old Jesus Perez nine-year-old Sebastian Perez, 19-year-old Joshua Lugo Perez, and the additional serious injury to Lewis Channel. To date, multiple search warrants have been applied for and executed. Four people have been arrested. Multiple agencies, including federal, state, county, and city law enforcement agencies have participated in this investigation and these arrests. Other first responders countywide have assisted us. Three Lebanon City Police detectives, five Lebanon County detectives have been at the forefront of this investigation. Without doubt, the success of this investigation lies with them. Their dedication to this community and their outstanding skills as investigators is what has brought this investigation so far so swiftly. The last of three suspects wanted in connection to the triple homicide that occurred on May 30th in the 400 block of North 5th Street has been taken into custody. Late last evening, the Pennsylvania State Police, the United States Marshal Fugitive Task Force, located Ivan Claudio Rosero, 27 years old in north in the north Philadelphia area. It was reported he was taken into custody without incident. He has been charged with multiple counts of homicide, conspiracy and firearms charges. An additional subject was also taken into custody in Lebanon City late last evening without incident. Tiffany Cosiera, 34 of Lebanon. Cosiera is the girlfriend of Ivan Claudio Rosero. She is charged with hindering apprehension. Cosiera was arraigned before District Justice John Ditzler last evening and her bail was set at $225,000. The close cooperation with the Lebanon County District Attorney's Office will continue. At this time, additional search warrants are being applied for and executed. Physical evidence will continue to be examined. Video that has been obtained will continue to be reviewed. Follow-up interviews will be scheduled. This investigation is not complete. To the citizens of Lebanon City and Lebanon County that have come forward to assist us, help us, or offer support, we all have to say thank you. Your trust in the police, the tips that you're willing to give us, are all valuable resources in all our investigations. Our thoughts will continue to be with the victims and the victims' families. That's all I have.
0: At this time, we'll hear from our district attorney, Pierre hess Good
2: morning. On Saturday... There were charges approved and filed for for criminal homicide, multiple counts of conspiracy, and firearms-related offenses against Ivan Claudio Rosero for his role in the May 30th shooting on the um, North 5th Avenue. The charges were being sealed at that time, and the reason being we were not sure where Claudio Rosero was. We wanted to take him safely into custody, and there was severe concern that he would flee not only from Pennsylvania but potentially outside of the country. We were able to obtain a 72-hour hold on the public release of those charges. During that time, the Lebanon City Police Department, Lebanon County Detective Bureau, our office, the Pennsylvania State Police, and the United States Marshals began an extensive search to locate and detain Claudio Rosero. The obvious goal was to take him into custody safely for himself and for the police officers who were involved. The United States Marshals and the State Police were able to locate Rosero late last evening in the northern part of Philadelphia. Contact was made. It was determined it was, in fact, our shooter, and he was taken into custody without incident. Rosero was then transported back to Lebanon City, where he was then arraigned last evening on the homicide charges. So he sits right now in county jail without bail as a result of his involvement in this shooting. On Saturday, we also executed a search warrant at 34 Cumberland Street. That address is that of Tiffany Cozierra, the girlfriend of Claudio Rosero. We had information that he fled there after the shooting and that he used a white BMW vehicle. And the goal was to try to find our shooter, that vehicle, and any other evidence which may lead us to what happened with three deaths, two of children and why. Cozierra was home, and she provided knowingly false information to law enforcement about where her boyfriend was the last time she spoke with him and when she last saw him. Cozierra was initially released pending Rosero's arrest. Evidence showed she gave knowingly false information. She remained in contact with him after the homicide, and they had a hotel room planned for Atlantic City this past weekend. Coziero was arrested and charged last evening with hindering apprehension for the false information she gave to police and for all of her efforts to help Claudio Rosero, charged with homicide, to evade law enforcement and escape from Lebanon City. Again, her bail is set at over $200,000, and that was done by Magisterial District Justice John Ditzler. When I stood before all of you last week, we had two in custody. We knew two of the three. And I said to you, it was not a question of if we would find our third suspect. It was a question of when. I am so proud of the work law enforcement has done in this case. The Lebanon City detectives, I cannot speak to how diligently they worked. There was no sleep. There was no rest. It was, we are going to find this third person, and we are going to get justice for these children. To our county detectives, the assistance they gave on scene, the assistance they've given since that night, I cannot thank them enough. Our number one priority has been finding Ivan Claudio Verzero and getting justice for these families. If you have any questions, I'll answer those at this time. So,
0: can you go into detail how you tracked
2: So there are certain ways that we track suspects that, frankly, we don't release to the public. It would potentially hinder future efforts to do the same. What I can tell you is that there are various electronic means where we can monitor individuals. That was done and it was determined he was in Philadelphia. So we've known that for some time, but it was a matter of figuring out where in Philadelphia he was, doing a surveillance, making sure it was the right person, and then trying to take him into custody as safely as possible for himself and for law enforcement.
0: Was he with with family or friends? And would those people also be potentially uh, subject to hindering apprehension?
2: He was with personal acquaintances. Um, He was in a public location at the time he was taken into custody. There's no information that's been given to us that those persons did anything other than meet with him in that public location. Can you talk about the gravity of this crime, of this case, where you're seeking the death penalty against
0: not only one but now two suspects? Sure.
2: So there are three charged shooters. By law in Pennsylvania, we cannot go after a death penalty for a juvenile. So the 16-year-old who was charged in connection with these shootings cannot have the same outcome. And his legal process is somewhat different. They will be consolidated for purposes of trial, so the three would go to a guilty or innocent phase together. But the death penalty phase will only be proceeded upon for Claudio Rosero and for Alex Torres Santos. When we looked at what happened here, and when you go out and you walk the crime scene, and we were there from 10.30 that night, we had over 20 rounds that were fired. 20. You had two children that were dead on the back porch of their own home. The porch light was on. They're out back for the most innocent possible reason, where they're just playing with their kittens on the back porch, something that these kids love to do. Their mom was at work. And three men went about a block and a half away and opened fire. Not only did they open fire directly at that residence, but it's Lebanon City. It's a highly populated residential area. It's 10 o'clock at night. People are home. People that are going to work the next day that are getting ready to go into work for third shift. It's in their backyards. And when you look at the neighbor who was shot, he's simply in his own home minding his own business and he's struck by a bullet. And frankly, he's sustained serious gunshot wounds. So not only do you look to the age of the victims, the lives that were taken, but you also look to the risk of death and of danger to our local community. And at some point, enough is enough. We have tried more homicide cases. I have tried more homicide cases in the last year and a half than we had done in the eight years prior to when I took office. Every one is a first-degree conviction. Every one is life imprisonment, and it's not enough. And when you sit here and you have to look family after family in the face, one of whom was the wife of a Lebanon City police officer, and explain, yet another instance of senseless gun violence. There is no motive for this. There is no reason for this. And all you can say is, we know what's going to happen again. At some point, enough is enough. And when I looked at this, and when you stare at the body of a dead child, enough is enough. So if this doesn't send a message, if this does not show we are taking this seriously, that gun violence is taken seriously in this community, I don't know what else will. How was it
0: determined that two little children were playing with the kid? The
2: there was an adult in the residence who... Was not struck by any bullets, and he was able to describe what was going on in the household immediately prior to the shooting.
0: Why it
2: so, number one, Governor Shapiro may not be Governor Shapiro forever, and death penalty cases are not quick. Any homicide trial is not quick. So, typically, till we get to a jury phase, it can be anywhere from a year to two years. Death penalty cases take longer, they're more serious, there's another additional phase to a trial in addition to guilt or innocence. It's then up to a jury for life or death. How someone else chooses to do his job does not affect the way that I do mine. And it certainly doesn't affect how seriously I look at what happened here. And I mean no disrespect to any elected official, but those men and women who are in other positions, inherently political positions, they didn't look into the the eyes of that mother and have to explain your eight-year-old and your nine-year-old are dead they're not coming back. I did. The police did. So we will take every effort possible to get justice. And whatever anyone else chooses to do with that, that's not my call. The death penalty and taking this seriously is my call.
0: Reyes uh, is also connected uh, possibly to a killing in New York State. Can can you talk about that situation?
2: Sure, so that's been widely speculated upon. um, And I will certainly put forth as much as I'm able to and that I'm aware of. New York State has a different version of warrants than what Pennsylvania does. They have a warrant for arrest, just as we do. They also have a warrant for, this person may have information or may be connected to a crime. If you see them, we'd like to speak to them. As soon as we ran Reyes and he was processed, it came up that there was this homicide something. There was some warrant out there from Rochester, New York. So last Friday, I got on the phone with Rochester police, Rochester clerks of court, and their district attorney's office. There is not a homicide warrant. There have been no charges filed against him. There is a case that is open that is pending, and he is wanted in connection with information or potentially as a suspect, but they're nowhere near the point of charging. So it's not as though he was arrested and released on a homicide. There is just this case pending. Obviously, the family of the Rochester victim has been very vocal about frustrations and that process, but it's not as though he was released on a homicide warrant. He did have a... Firearms not to be carried, where he was processed as a juvenile in New York in Rochester. He was on supervision for that and fled, but that is not connected to the homicide offense. And prior to the night of this, the night of our shooting, we had no information about Reyes. He wasn't someone that was known to be a problem with law enforcement. There wasn't anything to bring him to our attention. He is not. The, the information we have is that he was living in New York. There were various... Things that happen, and for whatever reason, he came to Lebanon. We have no knowledge if he went directly to Lebanon, if he lived somewhere else, or how or why he came to be here. Um, The unfortunate aspect is a number of our homicide defendants of our violent crime, they're coming from New York and they're coming to Lebanon. So it's not my job to speculate in terms of what I believe. I can tell you that he is charged identically to the other three, and whether you pull the trigger one time or 20 times, you are just as liable and just as culpable as your co defendants So while mere presence at a crime scene is not enough to be charged, any action that you take as part of a conspiracy is part of a group. You are liable for your own acts. Any accomplice liability where you help the others, and any conspiracy that you entered into to come to those criminal activities.
0: When you addressed us last week uh, saying that you were searching for a third suspect, did you know it was Claudio Rosero at that time? No. Can we give an update on that person who was wounded today?
2: He is recovering. And Mr. Cancel, fingers crossed, will be home from the hospital relatively soon, but he is recovering, he is able to speak to us, he, for all intents and purposes, is doing as well as can be. Last week,
0: you started to and closed the criticism at the all NMTJ, and this is earlier, if you comment
2: a little bit on that. So anytime a crime is filed, the first level is a preliminary hearing. That preliminary hearing happens in the court of jurisdiction. That court of jurisdiction is a magisterial district justice. It's an MDJ. So there's been some question about why would a a shooting case go before an MDJ? All of them go before an MDJ. These homicides are going to go before an MDJ. That is how the criminal justice system works. Once we file a charge, it's up to the MDJ to impose bail that he or she deems to be appropriate. There's various factors, but when you think about bail, the first concern is, is this individual going to sh- show up back up to court? Are they going to follow through? The second is, what type of a danger does this individual pose to the community? Initially, Torres' bail was set at $100,000. When he got to his preliminary hearing, he had asked for a bail reduction, and NBJ Figueroa gave him $50,000, or should he post bail and get out and he be able to come up with that $50,000, he would be put on house arrest. Case law came out approximately a year to two years ago that indicated anytime somebody is placed on parole, probation, or something like a house arrest to supervision, it is incumbent upon the court to read the rules and make sure that the defendant or the individual knows, this is what's expected of me while I'm out on bail, while I'm on probation, while I'm on parole. Unless those rules are read and given to the defendant or the suspect at the time, there can't be any criminal, I don't want to call it a, a, a prosecution, but we can't revoke bail if they violate so we've had individuals comment of how hard can house arrest be, you know what the rules are. Again, it's not it's not what you would think under common sense, it's not what you believe, it's by law. Did the MBJ impose the rules of house arrest and she did not? So there was a potential bail violation for Torres in April, it was early April. And when probation looked back at the record, it was determined MBJ Figueroa, when she lowered the bail and gave this house arrest alternative, she failed to read him the rules of supervision. As a result, he was incarcerated for a day or two and he had to be released. He was given the rules at that time and admonished, if you violate again, if you do something else, you're coming back into custody, and now we're not going to release you. We had no violations between April and the night of the homicide. So our office did what we could, but with, with that failure, there's nothing I can do lawfully to detain a suspect. Who gave
0: him the rules and admonished him when he was picked up a suspect who was initially released in house arrest?
2: It was not our office. We're, by law, not able to do that. It would have either been a court of common pleas, judge, or probation. I'm honestly not sure. not sure.
0: Talk a little bit more about the project aspect of the death penalty. I also bring about the legal burden you guys got to be in the procedure. Well what is that legal burden in the acting? Sure.
2: So with the uh, procedural aspect of this, first you go to a jury trial. Are they guilty or innocent? If they are found guilty of the homicide, that's when we then proceed to the death penalty. At that point, we, prevent, or we present evidence of what we call aggravating circumstances. That's why to inform them that we're seeking death penalty, it's called a notice of aggravating circumstances. In this case, you have the risk to the surrounding area. You have the fact that it's multiple homicides committed at the same time. And then you have the ages of both juvenile victims. So all of that would be presented at the death penalty notice to the jury. The defense, each defendant is then able to present mitigating evidence. And there are, again, a list of factors. We are able to present rebuttal evidence to those mitigating factors, if appropriate, and if the judge allows. And then it's up to the jury to decide, is it life or is it death penalty?
0: Getting back to the jury's picked up because the rules weren't initially ready. If he would have been taken in front of the Court of Commons, judge, would have the rules properly. Would your office have been notified of the jury in front of the judge?
2: I can tell you we weren't notified that to be in court for anything, so I can't speak on how the court operates or what they want. I can only tell you in this case, we were not present. We were just informed by probation afterwards that this was done and this was the outcome. I mean, as a
0: matter of it, regular customer practice, if a criminal defendant in criminal prosecution appears before the court is not please. is your office always involved?
2: I wouldn't say always. There are times where probation can file their own violations just like they do when someone's been sentenced. That initial paperwork is prepared by probation, we sign off on it, but that goes up to the judge, they're listed for court, and there are times where even a bail revocation, probation can file those. So it, there are times where we are not involved. I can tell you in this case we were not involved, and frankly, I don't want to speculate on what anyone else did or what actions they took because I don't know the answer to that.
0: the was
2: No, I've confirmed he was read the rules and told if he were to violate again after that April violation, he would be incarcerated. That's as far as... The rules by whom. I did not confirm whom. I was simply given information from probation saying this was done and this is what's going to happen going forward.
0: You said that uh, James Fernandez Reyes is not eligible for the death penalty Correct. because of his age. Is he eligible, though, in fact, for life without the possibility of parole?
2: He is. It's a different standard for a juvenile, and unfortunately we've become very familiar with that because we've had some of these go to trial for homicide in the last two years. As a juvenile, if he would get a first degree, it is up to the judge to determine how much time he gets in that first degree. And at a minimum, he would do 35 years. A judge can go higher than that based on a list of factors in in the law that allows the judge to say for your prior record score, for the gravity of this offense, for whatever reason, you deserve more than that 35. So a judge can go up to life, and the standard has changed. It used to be we would have to prove they were incapable of rehabilitation. They were basically patently incorrigible. The case law has eased up a bit. But it's still a very tough standard for us to get life. Our hope, obviously, is given the number of victims here, the age of, the vi- of those victims and the horrific nature of these killings, that he would get life. But that's a separate fight for him at an actual sentencing hearing. Coming
0: back to Santos um, and, and his earlier instances, I mean, was this a case of the system fail if, if the protocol had been followed, if this had been prevented?
2: So speculation is not my job. My job is to take the facts, the evidence, and the law in front of me and act on it and prosecute it accordingly. So can I say that had he been incarcerated, this wouldn't have happened? I can't speak to that. There are three people involved. I have no idea. I can tell you that there were... We did not agree with the lowering of that bail. I did not think it was appropriate and that when he violated, had those rules been read properly, he would not have been out in the street at this time.
0: Did you take the $50,000 bail that was set in each action? Was adequate at the time it was set. No. Could you have gone that very day to the Court of Common Police upstairs and asked yes to have 100,000 reinstated or even made bail higher?
2: So when a judge sets bail, whether it's an MBJ or a Court of Common Police judge, that is done in his or her discretion. We had nothing to show he violated bail or that something had happened. Let me finish before you come back. We had nothing to show that there was an abuse of discretion and that. Patently she she imposed an illegal bail or that it was per se inappropriate. And what you're asking a judge to do if you appeal an MDJ's decision is to say one judge inherently disagrees with another, she abused her discretion, and here's a new amount. We often disagree with bail. Often, especially in Judge Figueroa's court. And we don't appeal every single one of them. We wait to see how they do. Is there a violation? Is there a problem? Because every time we disagree, that doesn't entitle you to a new bail amount. This guy
0: was out of bail on the shooting, though. So mm-hmm. did you think the $50,000 amount in each case, when it was reduced to that amount, was inadequate? I did. Yes. And you could have won court of compensation has to have bail re- re-raise.
2: Could we have done that? Yes. Did I think there was any likelihood of that being successful? I did not. No. Was it Yes. And then as far
0: as the other two, they're, they're still scheduled for pre-didance tomorrow. I was seeing they're going to be discharged.
2: So, from what I understand, uh, the Public Defender's Office is doing a conflict motion so they will not represent Fernanda, so I don't believe that that prelim is is going to go for tomorrow. And for the other two adults, they have to be death penalty qualified defense attorneys. So the court's going to have to figure out who those are and who they can actually hire and appoint and make sure those two attorneys don't have conflicts with one another. So at this time, I have no idea who represents each. I haven't been contacted by anyone saying, I've entered my appearance. But I would expect those prelims to get continued at least once or twice just for each man to retain counsel. And
0: Santos is supposed to have a hearing this afternoon to on January.
2: Yes, and that is a motion on, on the night of the homicide, we filed a motion to revoke his bail because obviously by that point we had information. He's out in the evening hours in possession of a firearm at a location where a homicide had just occurred. So we filed an immediate motion to revoke bail and the order had indicated we could detain him pending a hearing on that matter. So that hearing is scheduled for this afternoon. Anytime you're in jail on a homicide offense, you're not entitled to bail by law. So whether or not a judge says, yep, we're gonna let him sit in on this or makes it something else is frankly a moot point. He's going to sit on the homicide until this is done.
0: Will future hearings for uh, James Fernandez Reyes be in open court now that he has been waived into adult Court or will he always be uh, held under that
2: juvenile standard? In all the prior Juvenile homicides that we have done—it's been an open courtroom, so everything has been open. When you're charged as a juvenile, it's very different, and your your docket, your charges are not publicly accessible, and your hearings are not. As an adult, it's open court. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you again
0: for coming. Um, as the DA indicated, uh, there's an extreme amount of work that still needs to be done in this case. Many hours will go into this process. And I just want to assure the families of the victims and the Lebanon community that we will be diligent in our duties and we will have justice for Jesus, Sebastian, and Joshua. Thank you.